This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Well, good morning, everyone. Our first Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 51, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 11. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Listen to me, my people, and give heed to me, my nation, for a teaching will go out from me and my justice for a light to the peoples. I will bring near my deliverance swiftly. My salvation has gone out and my arm will rule the peoples. The coastlands wait for me, and for my arm they hope. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and those who live on it will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever, and my deliverance will never be ended. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people who have my teachings in your hearts. Do not fear the reproach of others, and do not be dismayed when they revile you. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my deliverance will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord, ransomed of the Lord, shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. The second Bible reading is from John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. A little while, and you will no longer see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while, and you will no longer see me? And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They said, What does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. 
but when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and am going to the Father. His disciples said, Yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one to his home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that your word is breathed out by you and useful for teaching us, for rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. And so today, would you make us wise for salvation and transform us by your spirit as we listen to you speak. Amen. Well, you don't have to be around church for very long to know that we all experience life very differently. One of the best things about church is that it gathers together people from all sorts of different places, different kinds of lives with different experiences. Some prefer the beach, others the mountains. Some really like the sun and others love the rain. Some love theatre and the symphony. Others love to watch the block and married at first sight. Some are CEOs, others are homeless. Some of us have inherited or made fortunes. Others struggle along paycheck to paycheck. Some enjoy health and long life. Others suffer terribly of ill health and loss. And when I put it like that, it raises the question of why we experience things so differently. And not just, it's not just that some of us have hard lives and some of us have easy lives, but that each of us ex- can experience such different things in our own lives. You know, one minute life can be sailing along beautifully, and the next minute, a rogue wave, everything changes. Or these things happen at the same time. I was reading an article the other day by Tim Keller, a pastor in New York. Uh, who was writing about his experience that since his diagnosis with pancreatic cancer, he has, an experience, has not experienced so much pain and mourning or, and weeping on the one hand, or deep joy in his family and in the Lord on the other hand, both at the same time. 
Now, different strands of Christianity have made different things of this. Uh, Our own, more Anglican and conservative, tend to say that we should expect life just to be pretty hard. Our Lord Jesus was crucified, so why should we expect life to be any different for us? Others, like our charismatic brother, more charismatic brothers and sisters, tend to say, well, we should expect life to the full. Jesus is raised from the dead. He gives us his spirit. We should experience full life, resurrection power. So what should we expect? What is right and normal? What is the default? Somewhere in the middle or one or the other? A cross-shaped, difficult life or a full life? Anxious toil or peace in the spirit? Well, over the last few months, we've been looking and sitting together with Jesus at the table alongside his disciples at that final meal that he had with them the night before he died. And today, these are the last words that he actually says to his disciples. Next week and after, we're going to be looking at chapter 17 where Jesus prays for his disciples. But these are the last things that he says to them. And he talks about this very issue, these this mixed experience that they're going to face. And he begins with this puzzling little riddle in verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And the disciples are a bit perplexed as why there's that kind of back and forth. But then in verse 20, he explains in a bit more detail. First, they're going to weep and mourn and experience pain. But then their pain will turn to joy. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, in a little while, a few hours from now, the disciples will no longer see him because he's about to go to the cross and die. That's why they'll weep and moan. They'll weep and mourn. They'll weep because they've lost their friend. And they'll mourn because they've lost the very hope for the world. And then... In another little while, he'll be raised from the dead. So the disciples will see him again. And that's why they'll rejoice. They'll rejoice because they've got their friend back. And their joy can't be taken away because he's alive and he will never die. For them, they weep because of his death and they rejoice because of his resurrection. Now for us... What does that mean for us? Is it, you know, since Jesus is raised from the dead, so does that just mean unending, everlasting joy from now on? Well, for us, it's not so simple because, yes, Jesus' resurrection brings joy, but he has gone back to the Father. He's left us again. We've seen him raised, but we don't see him now. And so we still experience that mourning and weeping and pain. But in another little while, we will see him when he comes again in glory, and then all will be joy. So seeing Jesus and rejoicing is something that's both now and not yet. We see the resurrected Jesus now, but we don't see him properly yet. We live in this in-between time, this overlap of the ages, where we both see Jesus, but we don't see Jesus. We rejoice because he's raised and we weep and mourn because he isn't here. He's here 
with his life-giving spirit, but he's not here. And so he still live under the shadow of death in the world. And so it's this overlap, this in-between time, that helps us make sense of our mixed ambivalent experiences. It's why among us and in our own lives is that mixture of both pain and joy, of perplexity and peace. And you know, I think it's really important for us to recognise this because it helps us to deal with both ends of the spectrum when they come, either in our own lives or for people around us. And they will come. And it's so important that we're ready and we acknowledge it when it does. You know, and that's why, as a church body, that's why Paul in, why Paul in Romans 12.15 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and in the same breath to weep with those who weep. There's a time for each and often both at once. We need to see them coming, be prepared, share them with each other and be there for one another in them. So what, what should we expect about this pain on the one hand and this joy on the other? What do they look like and how do we respond when they come? Well, starting with this weeping and mourning and pain, I want to draw out two features of what these difficulties look like. Now, last week... Fiona talked about the difficulty of being hated by the world. But today there are two others. And the first is that we struggle to understand God, to grasp him, and we struggle to see what he's doing. You can see this happening in the disciples. You know, I feel sorry for the disciples sometimes. Jesus, especially in John, he says stuff and they've just got no idea what's going on. Uh, They're completely bamboozled. And as usual, here, verses 17 to 19, they've got no idea what he's talking about. And that's why there's this back and forth between Jesus and the disciples. Now, as I I said, there is a difference between the disciples and us. We now live after his resurrection, have his spirit, and so something different. But we do still experience this struggle to really get it, to fully grasp God, to believe in in our hearts, to understand why God is working things out the way that he, he, that he is. Before we G- see Jesus again, we'll continue to be perplexed. And I, you know, I think this should, this should stop us from being too proud about our own insight and abilities to know things. You know, without seeing Jesus, without that revelation from God, our knowledge is severely limited. We can see something of God's power in the creation. But, I mean, have you heard that phrase, or maybe you've said it yourself? You know, I like to think of God as, well, I mean, that's nice that you like to think God, like to think of God as that. But without God actually showing us, who are we to grasp him? We can't. And this should stop us from trying to guess how and why God's working in the world. You know, whether God is teaching that person that lesson through what's going on or whether God is judging that country for their sins, the reality is we just don't know. We, we can't read God's plan off history with our own brains. And it should prepare us to be perplexed at what's going on when life just doesn't make sense. The second part of this difficulty that we face is that we still live under the shadow of death. 
And the disciples, you know, Jesus talks here about the disciples weeping and mourning and experiencing pain. And he uses the same language of Jesus when his friend Lazarus dies. And so in the Gospel of John, there's this thread of literal death and of the, the power of metaphorical and spiritual death. And it's what we still experience. We weep and mourn because people die and because we experience the paths, the roads of death. Our relationships slowly atrophy or suddenly break. Our bodies fall ill or age and fall and break. Our minds sink into sadness or dim with dementia. For us and for people we love. But even more profoundly, we still live under the shadow, not just of death generally, but of Jesus' death. We feel the powers that, put, that killed Jesus and put him on the cross. The voices that disapprove and mock. The powers that want Jesus out of the public square. The bloody hands over our brothers and sisters in countries like Afghanistan and North Korea. And so much of the world. And when we think about this shadow of death and the perplexity that we're under, we often, I think, in our, in our, polite, in our politeness, our desire not to burden other people or something, we seem to downplay bad things, painful things that we suffer. Uh, say that, oh, they're not as, not as bad as it could be, could be worse. Or, it's, well, what I'm going through isn't as bad for other people elsewhere in the world. Now, I mean, on the one hand, of course, it's, of course it's not as bad. Of course my experience isn't as bad as someone suffering in Somalia. But on the other hand, it's not a competition. Life can be really hard for all of us. I was, once, I was among a group of Christians who had a habit of when something was really bad, you'd say, oh, how are you going? And they'd say, well, the Lord's been very kind. And, you know, I, I get that and I admire that faith. And yet, I just, wanted, I just wanted someone to say, actually, it's just been really hard. <laughs> just to admit the reality of life under the shadow of death. And Jesus even uses the imagery of a woman in labour. You know, the pain can be that bad, completely overwhelming anguish and struggle. And the fear, you know, I've, um, I've observed labour four times and um, according to my measurements and calculations, it's pretty scary and, um, and pretty distressing and anguishing and, and a real struggle. But I mean, and even now, when uh, we live in the age of modern medicine, but especially back then, when childbirth was far more perilous. This is the reality of what life is like. We live under the shadow of death and in perplexity because we don't see Jesus yet. Remember, that's only half of the story because we're in this overlap. And Jesus promises his disciples and us now a joy and peace that can't be taken away. Like a woman in awful labour who brings forth a beautiful new life. Through Jesus' own toil and struggle, he has been raised and he has brought us life and joy and peace 
that can never be taken away. And what's at the centre of this joy and peace is a close and deep relationship with God as our Father. And that is the unifying theme throughout this passage. In verse 23, Jesus says that we'll ask nothing of him. He means yeah, we won't ask, there won't be any more questions. We will understand completely. Because in verse 25, he speaks plainly to us. He shows us the Father. Nothing needs explaining. Even though we can't fully grasp God, more than ever we have a clear vision of who he is of what he's like, that he's gracious and merciful and holy, and what he's doing in our Lord Jesus. We have seen God in Jesus. And so if you want to know God, if you want to know what God's like, if you can look at Jesus and know him, there's no more need to guess. And that means that if, if you're here today and you're on, maybe you're on a bit of a journey to discover who God is, well, you've arrived. This is where you find him. Not in psychics, not through mystical experiences, not through other religions, through Jesus Christ, because only he connects you with God the Father. And it's not just a cerebral knowledge, but it's a relationship, a new connection with him. When you pray, do you ever wonder whether God's listening? Whether the Father is really going to hear your prayers? Well, in verse 26, you don't need to ask Jesus to ask the Father for you. He says, you won't need to ask me to ask on your behalf. If you trust in Jesus, the Father loves you and listens to you. He promises to answer your prayers as a loving Father who loves to give good things to his children. Not always in the way that we expect but in the way that he knows is best because he loves us as our father and knows us. I remember my first, when I first had a best mate and my first best friend, and if you remember that experience, you know, someone I could really be real with, someone who knew me and I knew him and it was all good, all joy and peace. And that kind of thing, I think it's just a, a glimpse, just a taste of what we have in God our Father, who we know and more so who knows you and yet gave his son for you. And it's why we experience new life. It's why we experience spiritual growth and transformation. That's why we experience victory against sin, the world and the devil, and joy of the Spirit and the peace of Christ. And all of this is just what we experience now, because remember, we're going to see Jesus again, and all of this will be ramped up, fulfilled, completed, brought to fruition. For we now see in a mirror dimly, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, but we then we will see face to face. Now we know only in part, then we will know in full and we will be fully known. We'll understand how all the pain and perplexity fits with all the joy and peace and goodness. Instead of the dark shadow of death in your body and your mind and your relationships, 
you'll experience the cool shade of life together with God and his people. Instead of a lack of assurance, full and complete acceptance and love from God your Father. Now, I think there's a bit of a, um, a problem amongst us quieter, well, maybe I speak for myself, quieter, conservative, hands firmly by our side, Christians in worship, uh, to downplay all the gifts from God that we have in the present and to expect nothing much from being a Christian now except maybe what happens going to heaven when we die. But it's crucial that we see and meditate on, reflect on the wonderful parts of our lives as gifts from God, especially knowing the benefits of knowing God our Father through Christ and the Spirit. These gifts are like a precious, overwhelming joy and relief of, of a healthy new child. And you know, I think it's, it's, it's literally life-changing. It's life-changing when, when you pray each day to pay attention to all of God's gifts and to give thanks. Does your spiritual life feel a bit dry and dead? It's much more common than you think. When you pray, spend time reflecting and taking hold of the promises of the gospel in your life now, of his spirit in you, the reality of God, your father, who loves you and really knows you. One thing that I uh, haven't done in a long time, but I should do again, I really recommend it, is to take, say, a, a part of the Bible that really focuses on this stuff. You could say, take Romans chapters 5 to 8 and read through it carefully. And at the end of each paragraph, pray. Read and pray. Give thanks. God, thank you for this. Read, give thanks. God, thank you for this. Meditate on the rich spiritual life that he has given you in Jesus Christ and the joy and peace that comes from it. And it will change your spiritual life. When you focus on these things, it changes you because it gives you courage and peace. And that's what Jesus promises, courage and peace. When it's almost impossible to see Jesus, when it's painful and you're afraid and anxious, or when you've lost the excitement and feel like you're just kind of hanging in the middle somewhere, in the thick of these mixed experiences, remember these words of Jesus. You have seen him raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and you will, see, you will see him when he comes back. He's with the Father. He has everything in hand. The Father loves you, knows you, and hears you. And even though you can't always see it, he has conquered the world, and you will see him again. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.